0: Welcome to the Engage and Empower podcast. Behind every successful company is an intentional and innovative approach to empowering your most valuable asset, your people. Join me in having conversations with people and talent leaders as we share our journeys and unpack what it takes to build strong, cohesive teams and employee experiences. From executives at early-stage startups to innovators at large public companies, we'll capture the compelling stories of the people behind people teams. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Engage and Empower podcast. I'm your host, Resika Rajagopalan, and today I am so excited to be chatting with the co-founder and co-CEO of She Geeks Out, Felicia Jadzak. I remember meeting Felicia back when I was at Salsify, actually. We hosted an event with She Geeks Out, and I love the community that She Geeks Out created. So I continue to attend their events and leverage their support when building learning and development programs around diversity, equity, and belonging. So Felicia, thanks so much for making time for the show. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind getting us started by giving listeners just a quick background and intro on you, that would be great. Of course, thank you so much
1: for having me. It's really great to see you and to be here on your podcast. So. As you mentioned, I'm the co-founder, co-CEO of She Geeks Out. I have been working in the tech space in some shape or form since I don't know a long time. <laughs> and although it's not where I, I started off my career journey by any stretch of the imagination, but I have had a lot of experience over the years in either feeling like one of the only, or an other, or out of place, or weird, or not quite in the in group. And I think a lot of those experiences have shaped how I've even come to She Geeks Out and what we've been doing with She Geeks Out. So today, at end of 2020, when we're recording, She Geeks Out is an all virtual organization with like a lot of others that's pivoted this year. And we have two sides to our house. And so on the one hand, as you mentioned, we have a vibrant community of women, non-binary folk, really anyone who considers themselves an ally or a geek, really. And so we are holding community events for people who are in this space who want to connect with each other to geek out, as well as connect with organizations who may want to hire and support them. On the other side of the house, where I spend a little bit more of my time, we run diversity, equity, and inclusion training and programming for organizations of all shapes and sizes. And so that's the quick TLDR of what we do. And I'm happy to dive into any of that further. But yeah, that's what we're all about these days.
0: That's awesome. I love that you were able to get this off the ground. And as I mentioned earlier, I have so enjoyed being a part of the community you've built and learning from your workshops and panels and other offerings. Um, But I'm curious, what was it like jumping into that whole venture? You know, you talked a little bit about where the idea came from, but as you pivoted and transitioned to really fully focusing on growing that vision, how did you prepare yourself for an adventure like that? And what was that like?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I guess I could probably fake it and be like, yes, I had this vision. I was prepping, blah, blah, blah. But really, to be honest, it was just, we just, we fell into it. It was, we didn't know what we wanted. It just, it was so organic. And I think it really speaks to what the business is all about and, you know, how we started it, how it just came to be. It's so funny because I think, especially in Boston, where we are, or I should say where we started. You know there's obviously a big tech scene out here and i think a lot of that traditional startup story is like okay so we were a bunch of you know dudes in hoodies sitting around our dorm room thinking what could we start and what problems are out there and then we our food was cold and blah 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 and then we pitched to our dad's front you know like that's the very sort of like startupy broy story <laughs> and our story is really different because and i think that's part of why it was so Focused on women in the beginning. And I think that lent itself a lot to this idea of relationships and gatherings and collaboration and spaces and connection. And I think that really has informed a lot of how we formed the company ourselves. So, you know, when Rachel and I started, it was just a, a side hobby. So we were like, we want to meet other cool ladies working in tech. And We don't want to go to a meeting that, or a meetup rather, that's for moms because we weren't moms. We don't want to go to, or we can't go to a meetup for people who are right out of college because we're not right out of college. And at the time, again, you know, it was a pretty different scene in 2013. Like there was kind of this wasteland, like there was a lot of stuff focused on college students. And then there was a lot of stuff focused on senior women. And there was starting to be a lot of focus being paid attention to working parents but anyone else, it was like, well, I don't have kids. I don't, I rent. I don't own a house. I'm not in a relationship. Where can I find community? And that's, and we, what we found was that there were a lot of people out there who were in the same boat as we were. And so really it was just in the beginning, like we wanted to have fun, eat food, have some drinks and hang out with cool people. So where that evolved was we started doing news events and, you know, in the beginning it was slow. So we would do an event, we would have great turnout. We had people would be super excited. It'd be really fun. And then at the end of the event, we would say something like, hey, if you had fun, like, let us know, because we're not sure when the next one will be. But if there's interest, we'll do another one, you know, we'll keep you posted. And what started to happen was people would come up to us during the event and say, this is really great. I want my company to host the next one. And then what started happening was we started to pick up a little bit of press, we started to pick up some word of mouth, and the kind of the snowball started gathering and rolling. And then it started being that companies would reach out to us without us having to reach out to them. Then we started getting booked out a year in advance for our monthly meetups. And we were still like not charging, we charged a small ticket fee just to make sure we could get people to commit to coming so we could order food. So then we started thinking, okay, well, we should probably charge... More money because, or you know, charge these companies because we really, honestly, it, it wasn't about thinking about it from a business standpoint. We just wanted to slow the roll because there were too m- too much demand, which I know is like the stupidest. It's good like, problem to such have a <laughs> problem to have, but we were like too many companies are interested in us. What ended up happening was we formed the business in like late 2014, early 2015. Purely for the only the sole reason to get a business bank account because we did not have one and we were taking in money and it was going into our personal bank accounts and that was not something we wanted to do. So really, the reason we formed the company was to get a business bank account. And the way it was structured in the beginning, we weren't able to tap into like an umbrella organization or anything like that. So when we decided to form this business, we also took the opportunity. And so originally, we were Boston Girl Geek Dinners. That was our name. So we took the opportunity to rebrand. And so we rebranded at that point to She Geeks Out. And so then we kind of like launched with a splash in 2015 and it just exploded. And I think really, if you go back and you look at what was happening in Boston in that time frame, like 2011, 2012, 2013 to 2015, 2016, there was a lot of momentum because then Mayor Menino had put in place a lot of incentives to bring in tech companies. The whole tech scene was exploding in the area. All these tech companies came in and then they were like, we need to hire people. Like, we don't even care what they are. We just need bodies to come in. And then at the same time, within the tech industry, there was this rising interest in diversity and what we see across the board. And we're a bit more, I think, informed at this point in 2020. But what we see is that for a lot of industries and organizations, when they are newer to that conversation, they start by focusing on women. And so that was what was happening. And so here we were sort of perfectly poised at this intersection of all of these things happening. And we were fun and we got lots of people coming to our events and people really liked it. So there was a really good network and community of positive reinforcement. And so we just, again, were getting booked out year in advance, year in advance. And so we just kept charging, we kept growing. And so fast forward to fall 2016, it just it had gotten to the point where. Both Rachel and I were essentially working two full-time jobs and we had other, we had full-time jobs already. And so it came to the a head where it was just not sustainable. I would basically go to work at VMware. I would come home. I would have like an hour or so for dinner, maybe hitting up the gym. And then I would work all night till midnight or 1am. I'd go to sleep and I would just repeat. And mm-hmm. so you know, it was really scary. But we were like, well, there's something here. And so I ended up quitting VMware in September of 2016. And then the elections happened. And we thought that would be we weren't really sure how that would impact us. But it was actually positive for us because a lot of companies wanted to then double down on supporting organizations like ours. And Rachel had been running a startup of her own that was not doing super well. So she decided to sunset Her other startup and joined full time in December of 2016. So, you know, that was sort of a real turning point because we're all in on She Geeks Out. And at the time, we were still only focused on community, but we were really aware. And I think back to your original question, I know I sort of gone all over the place here, but to your original question around like the prepping and the planning and how do we start this. So I will say that as much as it's been very organic, one thing that Rachel and I share is. We are hyper aware of the opportunities out there. And I think it's almost painful for us to let an opportunity go by. And so, you know, there were, and I think there still are, but at that time in the sort of mid 2000s, whatever you call that decade, there were a lot of other organizations out there that were relatively similar to us. Maybe they were focusing on a different population, but same kind of idea and approach. And not all of them have taken the path that we've taken. And I think partially it's because you know we've always looked at this as well it's not that we came into this wanting to create a business and make all this money or whatever it is you know we never looked at it from that standpoint but i think that is part of the appeal where people think or not they don't think they know that we are genuine that we are authentic that we care and we also had the business hat that we can put on. And so we're not just doing something because it gives you the warm fuzzies, but it also is something that actually is impactful and can scale and can grow. And so we've always had that sort of double viewpoint to it. So, you know, with that in mind, what we started thinking about was, and actually, again, this is where the organic piece comes into play, So I know that when you were at Salsify, we actually worked with Salsify on a couple of different programs. And so in 2016, one of our other clients had come to us and they said, we love the community. We love what you're doing. It's great. Everything's awesome. Do you offer diversity training? And we were like, well when do you need it by? (laughs) And they said, we can be flexible. So we said, cool, we'll get back to you. And it was really, again, this is this sort of idea of organic plus being open to the universe, as we like to say, and being open to these opportunities where I had already been dipping my toe into this within the construct, the container, if you will, of of VMware, where I was creating some internal programming, some trainings to really address some of what I had been seeing and learning. And then here comes this client saying, you know, we'll be willing to work with you. Do you have something? We, We trust you. We have this relationship with you. So then at the same time, we had also ended up through the universe connecting with two course designers who had content and content experience and domain experience and so that was wonderful because that's not something that we came into this with that hands-on experience so we really started building out this training pilot in the fall of 2016 we launched our first couple workshops in the spring actually winter of you know 2016 2017 and the part of the real reason for it was not just because someone asked us about it But also because when we were looking at the organization, even from early on, we always knew that the biggest challenge to growing would be the community. (laughs) It would be our own business model because community is very, very difficult to grow if you want it to remain true to sort of the core values and mission and look and feel. It's really challenging. And so we knew that if we wanted to grow, it would either have to take some kind of infusion of capital, so funding, what have you or we'd have to find another vertical to really kind of dig into. And so this really was a way that we saw that we could grow and keep the community going in a really meaningful way without having to rely solely on getting bodies in the door. And one of our really big key things that we've always held very dear to our hearts is that we've never wanted to put the onus of funding an organization like ours on the people who make up our community. It's just something and not every community looks at it the same way. And you know, everyone does their own thing. But for us, we've always felt very, very strongly that if you want to meet other people, and you need a job, and you want to meet a friend, and you just want to share a war story, or you want to geek out with other people, like a ticket price shouldn't be a barrier for that. And so we've always very intentionally kept our ticket prices pretty low. So I think you know, the most we've ever charged for sort of like an event ticket has been $10. So it's a low ticket price, it's the cost of, you know, a coffee or two. And we've always put the financial burden, if you will, on the companies who want to connect with these people. But and so that's been, you know, how we sort of approached it. But that also limits in some sense, your economies of scale. So that's really how we got into developing out our training. And that's been what's really been driving us forward in a sense of keeping us going, sustaining and, and growing the business from what was it, 2017 I said, to 2020.
0: No, it's a it's a super cool story. And it's also really interesting just to hear you say that, you know, you started this venture in 2013, which like relatively isn't that long ago, but the landscape has it's really shifted so, so much. much. I yes, know. so much in you know those seven years. And as you were kind of putting together these initial trainings or workshops or what have you for that initial company that reached out. What were some of the things that, you know, you thought were top of mind that you needed to include? What were some of the topics and concepts? And how have you evolved that over time as, you know, more and more companies have started to invest and start thinking early about this work and how it's, you know, integrated into a lot of their core philosophies and practices?
1: Yeah. It's been really interesting actually to kind of track it. And even as you just said, (laughs) 2013 is not that long ago. I'm like, 2017 was not that long ago, but even in the last three years, it's been such a shift. So when we launched our initial pilot workshops, we had two. So we had one that was focused primarily on recruiting and then the other one was focused on retention. So it was aimed more at managers and sort of keeping people and, and culture versus hiring people in. We had a third workshop that we scoped out that we never actually fully developed, and it was supposed to be aimed at growing women within their careers within companies, and that sort of got shelved early on, but that was the sort of trifecta that we started off with. So when we launched, what we found was that people really liked both workshops, but really the sort of superstar of the show was the recruiting workshop. So in 2017, I can tell you with 100% certainty tech companies were very much focused primarily on recruiting. And so that was something we already knew that was going to be the case just from the community work that we were doing. And so it was so funny because the other thing that we spent a lot of 2017 on was actually um, marketing, right? So bringing you back that marketing piece and branding because one thing that actually was working a little bit against us was the fact that people knew us so much for the community. And so we had to, we spent a lot of time Really, you know, doing outbound marketing, speaking, doing blog posts, sharing articles, like anything we could do to really establish some thought leadership in the space, because we knew that we had expertise in it. But rightfully so, all these companies were like, why should we hire you for this kind of work when you are a woman's community? And so we really looked at 2017 as a sort of building year where we could sort of build a foundation and then really jump off from there. And so along the way, what we kept saying to ourselves, to our clients, to everyone else who would want to listen to us is we were like, okay, 2017 is the year of recruiting, but 2018 is going to be the year of retention. And we really felt that that's how the industry was going to kind of shift in terms of their awareness and maturity. That didn't quite happen as dramatically as we had anticipated. And I think, you know, even today, recruiting is just such a hot topic. And I think when you're looking, if you take a step back, and you look at the landscape of DEI or, or DIB or whatever acronyms you want to use, recruiting, I think, consistently is such a key piece of it and people gravitate towards it because it's very tangible, right? So one of the things everyone always says is like, just tell me what to do. And part of the issue with this programming and, and these, these topics is that a lot of it is not very simple or straightforward. I can't just give you a playbook and say, if you do all these things, you will be diverse or you will be inclusive or you will have a good culture. It doesn't work that way. And so with recruiting, people see that and they're like, okay, here I go. Like, Here are some places I can source from. Here are things to do. Here are questions not to ask. It's very hands-on and very sort of like, okay, I got it. Here's the book. Here's what I do. And so I think that's maintained this sort of, I guess, popularity, if you will, of recruiting. But what we've seen is Overall, a shift in maturity, a shift in understanding of these topics. So when we started off, it was very much focused primarily on diversity. Then it was diversity and inclusion or DNI. Then equity, I would say probably in like 2018, 2019, even equity sort of to kind of come into the conversation, DEI or EID or whatever, again, whatever acronym you want. Belonging sort of came in tail end of 2018, early 2019. And so it's just been a really interesting shift first with the language and the terminology. And then what we're starting to see is that, you know, we also, as we get more deeper and deeper into this work we've also obviously expanded our own offerings. And so we moved on quite a bit from just those two initial workshops. So we offer a whole host, a library of different offerings. But what we've also seen is that, especially in this year, and I think we were trending this way already, but what we've seen is that companies are now not just looking for like a one time workshop where it's like okay i need to do this so check the box we did a unconscious bias workshop great cool whatever but we're really seeing companies saying okay i want to look at you as a long term partner so again it goes back to this idea of relationships right so i have a relationship with sgo and i'm not just coming to you for a one time thing but you're going to be my partner as we do this work but that's kind of the shifts that we've seen over time
0: Yeah, I definitely hear you on companies really early on focusing on recruiting because it's something that there was a very focused outcome that you could measure, there's a key process that you can follow, and not everything under the diversity, equity, and belonging umbrella looks and feels the same as that. I also feel like, to your point around companies investing in more long-term partnerships, I've seen more diversity, equity, and belonging-oriented roles that are posted head of diversity roles posted. And I almost feel like in 2020, as we've all kind of moved to a more remote environment with social media connecting us and exposing us to some of the long term impacts of what happens when we don't prioritize this work. And when we don't talk about, you know, unconscious bias and how it shows up and what equity is and why we need to think about some of that stuff as we build our programs. I almost feel like That network and us kind of plugging in virtually really enabled us to get to that next level in 2020. Whereas, you know, in years past, we were all in a vacuum, business is going well, you know, we're just kind of chugging along, and there wasn't that sort of shared accountability or really that realization of why this work matters. So, every company is different, and what every company needs to focus on will look a little different. That being said, having worked at so many different companies of different sizes, stages, industries. If, you know, you had to give advice to an early stage startup that's really just getting started, they're building their recruiting processes, they're thinking about their comp philosophy and all these different things. Do you have do you have advice on where someone should start as they're thinking about building out their DEB strategy in a finite world of resources where maybe they're not able to invest in tons of L&D or you know, tons of different programs, like, are there certain things that you feel like early on, it's important to sort of set that foundation for? Yeah, you know, I
1: think it's so important for early stage companies to look at this not as an add on, but as something that they should be addressing from even before day one, right? DEI or DIB, whatever you want to call it, it should be really woven into the fabric of the organization. And so if there are organizations out there that are in that really initial stage, you know, it's a great place to start. You don't need to necessarily spend a ton of money or resources on it, but you have to have that awareness because if you don't, then what ends up happening is you start to operate in silos. You know, there's a lot of that affinity bias. You're working with your buddy or your friend or, you know, you you operate with the resources you have available to you. So it's, you can still be thinking about these concepts, even if it's just you or one other person, or if you have a really small team that all look the same, right? You know, I still remember when we actually had our launch party for She Geeks Out in 2015, one of our launch companies who supported that was, I don't think they're still in business, sadly, but they were out of Labs. So it was a company called Tennyson and, and they had called me up before and we're talking about support, you know, sponsorship and things like that. And the guy was really frank. And he was like, listen, it's like there's five of us. We're all white dudes. We know this is not good. And we know that we, you know, they were established, but they were like, we're still early enough where we can fix this. And we want to do something to make sure that it doesn't grow more like this. And So even just having that awareness, I think is really important because one of the benefits of being where we are today is, you know, first of all, yes, we are all virtual. So we don't even have to think about necessarily the physical spaces as much as we were before. But the other really big benefit is everything. There's just so much information out there. So you can go on Google and you can find all sorts of stuff out there. Now, granted, it may not be that helpful if you're super overwhelmed or if you don't know where to start. But sometimes the thing that's the biggest hindrance to early stage companies starting is just actually doing anything. So even if it's just starting to understand, like, what is the language, right? Like you and I have been sharing all sorts of different acronyms. And I think that speaks to the fact that the language is constantly shifting and it's constantly evolving. And by the time this podcast episode is released, it may there may be another acronym that's popped up, right? So even just understanding who you are and what your privileges are or what your you know advantages or disadvantages might be, that is so key. And then you can build from there. And I think a lot of people, especially if we're looking at tech as an industry, there are a lot of really privileged people in tech. There are also a lot of really not privileged people in tech. And so just looking at yourself to start with, that's a, how I really think about a lot of this work is I look at it as very, you know, sort of like building blocks or stepping stones. Like, so I like to start with the individual and then go out from there. And so you can, even if you're early stage and you're like, we have no l we have no resources, we don't have any money for this. You can start with reflecting on yourself. You know, pulling up a diversity wheel and filling it out, thinking about do you even understand what privilege is? What does that mean? What does that mean for you? So, those are places where you can start. If you're a little bit further down the line and you are a bit more established and you have, you know, team members and maybe you do have a little bit of resources, I think another great place to start is employee resource groups or affinity groups, whatever terminology you might want to use for that. Because again, as you're hopefully growing and you're bringing in more and more difference and different voices and trying to make sure that you do have that representation, you want to make sure that you support people and so giving people spaces where they can share and connect and you know not have to let it all hang out for the whole company right especially if you do have an organization where you have maybe just a handful of people from various social identity groups and so that's another great place to start and you know that's something where it could be it doesn't have to be but it could be as simple as setting up some private Slack channels and then letting people run with that right so there's a lot of different ways to kind of get into it, but it's really about just sometimes giving people a space to even have these conversations.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you that it is a building block. So you need to build to get there, both in understanding the terminology, doing that introspective work and learning all these different concepts and then having the time and space to actually leverage them and sort of see the impact. 2020 has obviously been a really interesting year when it comes to DEI work because there have been a number of you know current events and recent events that have prompted a lot of these conversations so for companies that you know maybe haven't had a history of doing a lot of these you know workshops having these conversations investing in that education what's your guidance to how some of these companies you know as they are responding to some of these events and as they are holding dialogues around things going on in the outside world how can they have these conversations in a way that You know, feel safe and inclusive of all different employees with all different kinds of backgrounds. Would you recommend working up to that? Or, you know, if there are things going on in the outside world and they're impacting employees internally, really just, you know, address them? Like, how would you guide, you know, navigating some of those things?
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's so complicated sometimes. So I would say, you know, on the one hand, sometimes just opening up to have a conversation can be really helpful and really impactful. I feel like that's a double-edged sword, though, so I feel like I have to say that with a grain of salt because what we've seen, especially over the last couple months, is that a lot of companies... And I should say company slash leaders or people in power have done that with, you know, good intentions, but it's kind of gone not necessarily in the direction that they were hoping for. So I would match that with saying, you know, it's okay to ask for help if you don't feel like you are equipped to guide these discussions or enter into these conversations, because it, it is something I've learned, like it really takes it takes skills to hold space it takes skills to guide conversations to facilitate discussions especially when it gets at identity social justice harm that and trauma that's out there in the world that's impacting people and you know, it can be really harmful to open up a conversation and then say the wrong thing. And you can say the wrong thing, or to do it in a way that's not inclusive, or to shut people down when they're sharing, you know, and so there's, it is really challenging. And I know that a lot of organizations sometimes will not even have the conversation because they're too scared that they may say the wrong thing. This is where I really think that, you know, in this sort of area around DEI. It So much of it ties back to communication. And I think that just really being authentic can get you a long way. Being vulnerable can get you a long way. Now, it's not going to cover up your mistake if you really make a, an egregious mistake. But I think even just framing something and saying like, I might mess up, but I will listen to you when you tell me when you call me out. I won't ignore you or dismiss you or, you know, like I'm here to figure out what we can do to be better, to address issues, whatever it might be, right? And I think it's also important to recognize when you're out of your league and say, you know, we need to call someone in to like help us do this. One of the challenges that we've seen a lot of companies kind of navigate is this natural desire to start looking at people who are from underrepresented groups to sort of speak for their group and help the company help guide them through these challenging times. And that's really dangerous. And I think that's where you are really seeing a lot of organizations messing up because they're like, I literally, I I saw this company this summer where, you know, it was around the time of George Floyd's murder. And a lot of these organizations, mine included, were sending out messages and communications and letters to their community and to their, you know, their vendors and their clients. And so the CEO sent out, I'm sure it was a very well-meaning letter and in the letter, which is sent to me, a random person who signed up on this website a million years ago for a product I don't even really use, the CEO is calling out his two black employees by name saying, thanking them, right? So I know it's from a good place of good intention, but on the other hand, oh, it's so cringeworthy. And I just, you know, this is the kind of thing where you're like, why for a so many questions? <laughs> why do you only have two black employees? B. Why did you obviously ask them to help you with this, which is not their job? Because I know, because you said what their job was. See, you know, like it's just there's so many issues in this thing, and so this is really where you see the concept. I'm sure you're familiar with it. We talk a lot about this idea of intent versus impact, and you know, I'm a big believer in saying intent and impact because I do think it's so important to recognize the intent because people do have bad intentions, right? Like it's a fact of life. So I do want to recognize if there is good intention because that's important and need to address the impact that we have on others. And so this is where, you know, if that CEO had just listened to an advisor or I'm sure there was other people internally who were like, maybe you don't want to send this letter out the way you wrote it. But, you know, this is where that communication is so important. And this is where people don't think about that with relation to this work, but it's so key. And I think, again, it's where beyond just communication, it's having a sense of humility is really important, recognizing and being able to say, I don't know everything. And maybe this is an area where I should listen to other people and not just assume that I know everything. Because, you know, some of the stuff that happened this year, global pandemic, you know, social justice uprisings, all of these, you know, more highly publicized murders, like, there's been a lot of stuff that we've never had to deal with from a business standpoint before. And there's also been such a blurring of lines between the professional and the personal, you know, like we're doing this podcast right now, we can literally see into each other's homes. (laughs) That's not something that we really would have dealt with before this year. And so I think that, you know, it's really about taking that sort of check of yourself and as a leader saying, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say that you don't know everything. It's also okay to not share everything because maybe you don't need to share every last little detail with your company, but there is a real skill and it takes practice to modeling vulnerability. And that's such a leadership skill that I think gets lost a lot of the time. It's seen as a soft skill, quote unquote. And, you know, that's not as highly valued in a lot of business contexts as the hard skills. Like if you're a good finance person or you know how to pitch really well. And so that's where you really see, I think this year is really highlighted how important the squishy stuff is, how important this is. You can't just ignore it and say, we have one Black employee. It's going to be fine. You know, like we've got a diversity page, <laughs> we got some white woman and a black employee. It doesn't work that way anymore. You have to address this stuff.
0: So hundred percent, hundred percent, as you've been, you know, thinking about the transition to remote work and, you know, now you're a fully sort of distributed organization. What's your advice to how companies can build out some of these programs as they do navigate that shift? Because I know previously, you know, companies did have ERGs, people would meet in person, mentorship programs, meetups, are there specific recommendations you have to both create that space and that psych safety as you know, they do kind of go through workshops and trainings and then also you know, supplement that with the community building?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is just you know what, I, what I've been telling a lot of my clients this year is you know, we can do everything we would have done in person virtually. So that's the good news. The bad news, it's not going to be the same experience. It's just not. And you know, it's just that's the reality, right? Like you do not get the same experience when you are with a computer screen in front of you sitting in your home or in your car or wherever you are, versus sitting in a physical space in a seat next to people feeling the vibe, you know, getting sweaty because the air conditioner broke or whatever it might be, like, it's just a different experience. And so I think that you know, in like March and April, a lot of practitioners, including ourselves, like we were really scrambling, trying to figure out like, what does this mean for us in terms of what we do? And a lot of companies too, were like, well, we're just going to pause until we can go back together in person. Now, what we've seen is that that's probably not going to happen for a while, but it will happen at some point. And so while we're in this new reality, what does that look like to continue to have these conversations? Because the good news is, we can still do this. It just is going to look and feel differently. And so I think that, you know, this is something that we've been working on a lot too, is just understanding what are the differences, right? So like, okay, you can have someone sit in a room for six to eight hours a day if you like feed them and give them bathroom breaks and a chance to stretch their legs. You probably will not get the same level of attention if you make someone sit in front of their computer screen for six to eight hours, even if you give them the same amount of breaks and lunch and whatever, and maybe you can't send food because it's too complicated now. And you know, there's eye strain, there's Wi-Fi issues, there's other things. And so on the one hand, it's about understanding what are the limitations to this. And you know, Zoom and Google Me and Microsoft Teams like are great, but they're not perfect platforms. And so what are the limitations? On the other hand, it's also, again, taking that pedagogical look at it, like what are the benefits of doing this virtually and where can we really lean in? So one thing I've really enjoyed about making this switch to the virtual space is using more tools like polls and anonymous sharing and um, chat box to bring out voices that probably, not probably, but may not have been heard in an in-person space. And so that's been really helpful for people who are maybe not native English speakers, or who are more introverted, or they, you know, they've got other stuff going on, but they can click that pull button, or they can type it up in chat. And so that's been really nice to actually see that balance of you can still be interactive, even though you're not in a space together. And there's a lot of other ways to kind of elicit participation and sharing and knowledge. And so that's really fun. You know, it's been a very quick scramble to figure it out. And I think it's a, again, just like this space, it's constantly evolving. You know, all these platforms are adding new features. We're discovering what features we want. There's new things coming out, but there's just a lot going on. So I would say probably my biggest piece of advice would be to just try and stay on top of it as much as possible, which I know can be very challenging, but just to try and keep current because, you know, like I know probably some of your listeners are using WebEx. And so when we first started doing trainings this summer, 100% virtually. Webex was a terrible platform to use, really challenging. They just upgraded pretty significantly, and so now it's actually got a lot of really cool features that you know my preferred platform, Zoom, does not have. And so I'm like, hmm, Webex, all right, you know. And so it's just going to constantly keep evolving. And so just really being aware of like what is out there and what else could we do, and how can we look at this again as an opportunity not a limitation? Like what could we do that's different, that really leverages this tool as opposed to saying, oh, it's virtual. It's going to be such a boring, it's going to be a video that we have to sit in front of,
0: right? Like how can we really lean into this? No, I think that's really good advice. One of the things that I've noticed too is traditionally you have lots of different locations. So you don't necessarily interface or have these conversations with anyone but those that are, you know, in the four walls of your office. And lately I've seen, doesn't matter which location that you work at or whether you're, you know, a distributed employer or not, like we're all having these conversations together. So I'm getting to learn, you know, more about the teams outside of those that I work with. And so I think looking at it as an opportunity is really awesome. Well, one last question as we wrap, are there, you know, any books or anywhere you go or anyone that, you know, you listen to as you sort of think about kind of continuing your own learning journey? and you know learning more about the diversity equity and belonging space.
1: Yeah, so I have actually I have been really loving my the conversations that I'm following on Twitter. So I'm a big Twitter fan in general. One thing I actually recommend to people if they're thinking you know, like okay, what's a concrete step I can take is it might sound a little unusual but I'm like look at your social media because this is something where you can be doing this without even thinking about it, but look and see who do you follow and you know do they all look the same you know do they all come from the same background or industry and so one of the things i've been really loving is there's been such rich conversations happening on twitter in this space and especially in the last couple of months what i've been seeing and what i've been expanding my own network is seeing a lot of these conversations happening not only in tech but i've been following doctors and i've been following you know, people in the publishing industry who are authors and having conversations around representation and blackface in historical novels. And there's just so much good stuff out there. Like I really talking about features, I really wish Twitter would get on the, the bandwagon. And bump out their bookmark feature a little bit more because I keep bookmarking all this amazing stuff that I want to refer back to or that I'm learning from or, you know, threads that are just so rich and full of information and there's no way to sort it. So that's my personal pet peeve if anyone from Twitter is listening. But there's just so many great people who are out there right now who are active and and really in it. So I couldn't even name one person. Actually I will. I'm blanking on her name, but the woman who heads up this work at Upwork is doing phenomenal work. So I'm so embarrassed. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. I'm like, I can picture her Twitter icon. But yeah, Erin Thomas. Yeah. She's just doing such really insightful, deep work and sharing it, which I think is also a huge piece of it, right? Like this is stuff that's so important to share out best practices and not keep it all isolated just for you. So
0: yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Well, Felicia, thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, the work you do is really inspiring and I'm so grateful for your time and everything you've been able to share with us today. And for those looking for support in thinking through their diversity, equity, and belonging strategy or looking for rich workshops or a community of other people that love to geek out about this stuff, definitely check out She Geeks Out. They are awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more stories like this, please subscribe for the weekly drop and feel free to share around with your people and talent colleagues I'd love your feedback, so please leave a review and let us know what you enjoyed and what types of topics you'd like to see covered in the future. The more reviews and subscribers we get, the more quality content we can consistently deliver to you. If you're interested in being on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at russica at engageandempower.org. See you next week.